Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. The Achilles heel of every medical educator is how to assess medical learners. I'm Dr. Rory Merritt with the Brown Department of Emergency Medicine. As a medical education fellow, I'm familiarizing myself with the foundations of assessment. So today, I'm very fortunate to have a conversation with an expert in assessment, Dr. Teresa Chan. Dr. Chan is the lead author of an upcoming AEM education and training article entitled, Learning Analytics and Medical Education Assessment, The Past, Present, and the Future. In a world of competency-based medical education, anyone familiar with medical student or resident assessment knows an enormous amount of data is generated about each learner. How should program directors and administrators see the signal from the noise? Dr. Chan and colleagues provide an answer for us by introducing the concepts of medical learning analytics. By using intelligent data mining techniques, Dr. Chan argues we can spot important trends in resident education, including potential residents at risk. As many of you know, Dr. Chan is a prolific medical education researcher. At the local level, Dr. Chan wears many hats, including as an assistant professor at McMaster University and the assistant program director of the Clinician Educator Diploma Program. Internationally, she is known for her research in contextualized clinical decision-making and improving knowledge translation. She is also a founding member of the Canadium website and serves on the editorial board of four medical journals. Dr. Chan, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciated the chance to read your article in advance. As a medical education fellow, I I felt I feel like learning assessment is one of the areas I struggle the most with. I, I really appreciated that your article helped situate assessment and some of the challenges inherent in that process from both a um, historical perspective, but also a really future-oriented um in a current way. So perhaps you could help situate for our audience some of the current challenges that your article helps address in the assessment world. Yeah, so I guess right now, uh, one of the interesting things of when we're doing medical education is around the area of competency-based medical education. In the past, residency or graduate-level medical education has been largely about clinical exposure And then we added on academic days, half days, conference days. And then uh, I know in the U.S. you've added on things like the triple I and we're innovating in a lot of curricular development. FOMED's been a huge boom. Um, But uh, something that's been left behind has been how do we know as educators whether or not someone's actually achieving that kind of excellence that we would like or competence even. So competency-based medical education has been something that arose to meet the challenge and the gap between uh, what our educational systems are supposed to do and what we need to make sure that we do for the best care of our patients in the end. Uh, I think there's been a lot of really foundational um, people that have been doing great work in this area, some of whom are in emergency medicine, like Jason Frank and John Sherbino, at least in Canada. And in the U.S., there have been leaders uh, that have really paved the way with the ACGME milestones. And that has been something that's been really fascinating to watch. 
when I went through my medical education mini fellowship that was embedded within my uh, five-year emergency medicine program up here in Canada, because we're a bunch of slow learners, so we need more time. Uh, no, that's not true. We uh, ended up uh, I, I, we end up having time to do a special academic focus. I uh, was fortunate enough to be interested in medical education and have a great mentor in Jonathan Sherbino, uh, but. Um, one of the big gaps locally that we had was around residency assessment, especially in the clinical realm. So I was actually, um, I guess you could say blessed with the opportunity uh, to work in this space as a fellow with mentorship. And, and that's where I spurred on my interest. And that was around the same time that the ACTME rolled out its first set of milestones. And I was fascinated to see what the Americans had done and see what you guys had uh innovated. So I think at this point, we're also um, about to embark in a very new chapter here in Canada with uh, going forward to innovate with our competency by design model. So I think this is a very interesting intersection and time when educators are being urged to understand more about assessment. I think in the age of milestones and competencies, we're beginning to see that programs are building these robust programs of portfolios and assessments. I think programmatic assessment, which has been made famous by Case Vanderfluten in the Netherlands, suggests that in order to assess trainees well, we need to map and then measure intentionally and not in a happenstance sort of like ad hoc way. Um, I think we need to think about how we're going to show and prove that our trainees are actually meeting the mark when we're graduating them. And I think that the ACGME milestones were a big step in that first direction. And us Canadians are in July of 2018 about to embark on our own similar journey. I really like the way you phrased to map and measure with intention or intentionally. How can learning analytics help us accomplish those goals? So learning analytics are metrics that measure a trainee's acquisition of knowledge, skills, or behaviors. They can be both qualitative or quantitative, and ideally they're processed in real time or near real time to allow for you to kind of have a dashboard of your learning so you can then innovate uh, around future performance, notice where you're not doing very well, diagnose maybe kind of some kind of area of weakness, and then find people who can help you push the envelope. Um, I would say it's very similar to the way that a lot of tracker boards and clinical dashboards are coming up uh, all across the U.S. and Canada, at least, where in, in most emergency departments that have a robust EMR, we're starting to see, you know, like charts and flow diagrams and, and, and diagnose where the hiccup, hiccups are with regards to our patient flow. Um, the analogy is that we're also using some of the same I guess, underlying math to do similar things with uh, the way that we map and progress learners through a system, right? So the learning flow, I guess you could say. Um, these techniques have been used in higher education, especially in computer science for like entirely decades. It's just that, you know, a lot of the techniques are, are like regression, which is something that ClinEpi folks are going to laugh at because, wow, you guys finally discovered regression analyses, like welcome to the club. They've been doing this kind of math for a long time, right? So, and where we can catch up is that machine learning algorithms and an algorithm really is anything where you're putting some inputs in and then processing that and then getting a different output um, as the intersection of data points really is something that is ripe for the taking, right? Other fields have innovated to find ways to use these machine learning algorithms to enhance their real-time data collection, real-time data analysis. Um, and so I think that there's 
definitely a field that's ripe for translation into medicine and medical education, but probably more so medical education. Algorithms that actually process natural language, that can learn the idiosyncrasies of lingo and jargon that you have locally. Um, I think that's where probably some of the real innovation can come. Um, and if there's a way to fold in nudges as well, if you think about the way that an engineer would look at it, you know, the faculty member that keeps writing, good job, a machine to nudge them and say, would you like to add more to that would be, you know, an interesting innovation, right? I don't think we're there yet, but I think the tech is there. So it's now time for us educators to learn some of these uh, new techniques. And some of us, not all of us, but some of us might want to dabble in this as an area of scholarship so that we can bring new insights and new technology to an application of something that is ongoing and will need to be ongoing. I'm wondering how I could make the argument to an academic chair who maybe is just discovering Twitter. How can I make this um, seem really real and, re and relevant to, to her? Okay, well, I mean, Twitter is a very sociable kind of like outgoing kind of thing. This is more about data analysis. This is more about internal data that you need to do something about, right? Wouldn't every chair like to know the average word count about competencies, how many assessments they are doing of residents. I mean, productivity measures to this point have been more qualitative in that I like this faculty, I don't like this faculty, but what if the what if the gal that isn't liked is because she's the main assessor for the brunt of all the residents and she's the only one that fills out ACGME composite milestone assessments at the point of care. And so there's a lot of hate, but there's also a lot of love that's just not documented. And she's not doing well in terms of her faculty development scores, right? Because, because well, she's she's giving people the hard news, right? Like the the right right now, I mean, I don't know that we have analytics about faculty performance. I think that that could be mirrored very much, pulled from the same data. Um, I think that most chairs would want to know that the residents are actually learning something. Um, and then to spot people who are at risk well before, like early warning system well before, uh, I guess, like the QSOFA score of, uh, or maybe better than the QSOFA score, because I guess the systematic review just came out and said it wasn't that great for predicting sepsis. Um, but, but the idea would be, what's the early warning for a trainee at risk? What's... Like, what's the signal in all of this noise? And how do we discern that from four attendings just not liking someone? Right. There's a lot of things that can be teased out if we have measures and data. Right. You can just have to talk to a chair that's gone through the same process with operations. Right. Um, there's a lot of analogy. The first step you have to measure or somehow qualify things, document it, then look at that data and use that data to inform your practice. To this day, I don't think that we have robust data systems to inform educational practice. It's sort of scary, isn't it, that we that we really don't know, uh, you know, some of the hidden patterns that we're potentially able to uncover. And it's interesting that you know the computer algorithms and machine learning we can really uncover these. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there was the the group that's recently done both the quant and the qual study about female residents and how they're not marked the same. Come PGY three, wow, right? Yeah. That's the, 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 there's the article in JAMA Internal Medicine, right? I think the, well, the last author is definitely Vinnie Aurora, um, but she's also worked with people in uh, multiple sites to look at the same data set uh, with regards to the qualitative and there's qualitative differences as well, right? Yeah. Um, 
it's really important for us to know these insights because then, you know, whether it's uh, looking at faculty development to say there is a qualitative difference and there shouldn't be and we need to iron it out or that we have a discussion about what's the what what's the difference and why do we perceive a difference? And then on top of that is, is this a real signal mm-hmm. or is this gender bias reaming its head? I think these are the kind of questions we can ask once we measure and see that there's a difference, we then have to explore, right? Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, the fat men's rules from House of God, one of them is if you don't take a temp, you can't find a fever. <laughs> That's right. What I, right? What I'm saying now is that actually everybody needs a temp and a, tri- a set of triage vitals. And we need to do that repeatedly. And then we're going to see if we can catch some sepsis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to need to use this data to then proceed and follow up with remediation, customized education. It opens a whole kettle of fish that um, I think most chairs and program directors probably listening to this are freaking out a little bit. And admittedly, it's probably not where most people are right now. Yeah. But I think it's where we have the technology to make what they're doing, which is reviewing composite committee files, go smoother if we add a layer of tech. But that is something that we need to think about as a, as a field at whole, on a whole as medical educators, but also within EM, because we're used to getting a lot more data points from the alien counter cards. That's more a part of our culture, right? Yeah. We've always done more sampling. We've always done more data collection. It's a good habit to have, but it also results in way more data to then analyze. And so I think that that's where we need more people who are interested in assessment data um, and to train them up, to pick them out of the education fellows. It's great that you want to learn how to teach and learn mm-hmm. um, with science, but now we also have to figure out how we adjudicate, assess, do quality improvement, and fold in um, that last part of uh, a good curricular design, which is to make sure that we're turning out the product we intended to turn out. Well, I'm not sure that it matters my opinion, but I'm certainly on team assessment. I'm really intrigued by this idea and uh, the ideas that were raised in your paper. I'm, I, I was struck by your example of the uh, vital signs example and, and picking out the, you know, looking for those sepsis cases. I know some of my colleagues sometimes gripe, you know, oh gosh, I'm getting another sepsis alert on my computer. And sometimes people are feeling overloaded by um, data alerts. Is there any concerns about you might have about potentially improper data mining of resident evaluations, for example? I mean, I think that you always have to think about any kind of database, right? If you torture the data enough, eventually it'll tell you something. Whether or not it's a real signal or a false signal is something that uh, I think you have to think about and judiciously keep questioning yourself, right? Um, I think that... Uh, we can learn a lot from traditional clin-epi style research, right? It's usually hypothesis-driven. It's usually a priori. I know this is the best bet. This is the database I have. And so th- if I find a signal, I'm going to you know, figure out if it's within the p-value margin that makes sense for the number of analyses I ran, right? Um, and I think that we can learn a lot from the lessons learned from different fields, right? I think people have done database work in clinical epidemiology are great guides for the local educators when they're starting to come up with uh, bigger data sets, right? So when we have 5,000 assessments of residents, that's probably when, you know, it's time to book a meeting with someone from main campus or in your shop that does clinepi style 
regression analyses to say, hey, can we look at how this data set might, you know, if I know the properties of, can we look at it with similar techniques? I think there's a great synergy there that can happen. And then we just have to be wary of post-hoc analyses, right? Because if you roll a die six times, it's likely you'll get at least one three, at least more likely than if you just did one, right? And so same thing with any kind of data mining. You you can't just like run 15 regression analyses and say, oh, the p-value is 0.04, I'm going to take it. You got to be skeptical about that data just as you would if you're critically appraising, right? Um, but the insights that come from this data have to be data that you can trust and that's going to require a level of I mean critical appraisal is really at the core of it what it is right the journal club techniques that we have to dissect out a paper probably are the same techniques that we'll be looking at when we look at our own data internally right there's going to be measures of association like correlations and regressions um, and they're going to give us insight that one thing is correlated with another but we're not going to know causality and to conflate the two would be dangerous right so Female residents are not necessarily, they're scoring lower, but that might just be an association that we haven't teased apart yet, right? Is it because of a gender bias? Is it because of problems when it comes to uh, who they ask? Maybe they, they've read, they've all read that book, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. And, you know, they're all asking the hardest teacher to mark them and they, they don't game the system. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I just know that they have a lower score and then the unpacking of that needs to then happen, right? So maybe the signal is these kind of like regression analyses, then it's focus groups, maybe machine learning, maybe predictive analytics to see if if it's just that you select different, like the high-performing females are going somewhere else for some reason. I don't know. These are the kind of things that we need to think about, right? Because it's easy to conflate a correlation with the causation, but that's something that you have to be really mindful of. I think it's really fascinating that the implications of the research you're doing are, are one, really practical, but two, also have this philosophical component to it, too, that I think sometimes gets missed in medical education research. Yeah, I'm a big nut for, you know, like the philosophy behind a lot of this stuff, the epistemology, Sometimes even the ontology, these are all grad school terms that I learned at some point. But <laughs> I think we do have to think like, we do have to think like, what is the nature? What is the ethics behind what we're doing? What's the philosophy? Like, how do we not just mine the data and then torture to death and find a p-value that like out of all of these associations like can be publishable, but then has no meaningful effect, right? We've all seen those clinical studies. Um, yes. We're entering an age of data where we might do that similarly with educational studies and we just have to be wary of it right i, I totally agree perhaps you could say just a little bit more about how you see learning analytics being applied in the future so I, so i don't actually think we have to look really far into the future to see what should be used i think there are obviously new ways of measuring things that we haven't thought of yet in healthcare and in medical education um but the field of data analytics has been in our living rooms for a long time. Baseball has sabermetrics. Google targets ads based on your recent searches. Facebook is th throwing different um, ads at you, and some of them can even predict that you're probably pregnant before you know you're pregnant. Oh, my God. Like, all of these things are um, scary, and they're the reality, though. And a lot of these are powered by machine learning algorithms and, and other science that is just re relatively untapped in healthcare and definitely in medical education. The future is here and now, at least for our fields. Uh, we just have to admit that we're joining late to this party. 
I mean, we're still using pagers and fax machines, so we're not like <laughs> we're definitely very far from being kind of like the leading people uh, for technology, right? Um, so, I mean, how are we going to use the present technologies in our future? I think we've mentioned some natural language processing is probably ripe. Mm-hmm. I think we can trend and predict analytics for resident performance, maybe flag prominent individuals, whether they be residents or faculty. They're showing signs of maybe association with poor performance. Maybe that might be a way that you could flag someone who is more for burnout or at least try to figure out what's going on, how you can support them more. Right. Right. On the flip side, I mean, the tech alone can't help help us to diagnose and manage these problems. The tech is probably a diagnostic tool. It's probably like a clinical decision rule. It's probably like a calculator. It, it helps you get to a diagnosis of what's going on that it gives you a best bet, maybe a well-articulated hypothesis, but mm-hmm. it doesn't help you solve the problem, right? Just identifying sepsis isn't enough. You have to have something to do with it, right? Um, and you have to be able to hopefully fix and prevent the inevitable future or else we're just measuring things that are just going to make people upset. So I think we need to think about how we're going to interpret this, how we're going to explore new innovations as we hit 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 the uh, hit the circuit with new data and then take that data and understand the consequences of that data for people at the end of the day, right? Because a bad evaluation in PGY1 is one thing, but a set of flags in, you know, your last six months of practice when you're going up for a job interview may be a very, very dangerous dangerous thing for someone else, right? So I think it's something that we need to think about um, when we're collecting this data and what it means for the people that are really living the lives, right? And we need to figure out how we're going to stay vigilant and on top of our game so we can learn the patterns, so we can then expertly consult or engage expert educators within our own groups and physician groups to figure out how we can interpret the data well, make a justified call, and then manage these diagnoses uh, when we find them, right? I'm not sure that there is going to be a one-size-fits-all. In fact, this is probably heading into an era of more customized medical education. But I think it's something that we need to think about in terms of our shared understanding of where these analytics might take us. Well, on that note, I think you have a great title for a next paper. I can't believe we're still using fax machines and pagers. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. This has been great. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this AEM Education and Training Podcast. Make sure to check out the full text of this article available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa. And thanks again for listening. See you next time.